You're listening to the Empowering Lives Podcast, brought to you by the Department of Psychology at Help University, the University of Achievers. We'll be bringing you conversations with renowned psychologists and other health professionals that discuss a wide range of topics on mental health, psychology, and well-being. The Empowering Lives Podcast comes to you from the biggest psychology department in the whole of Malaysia. As we talk about the issues that matter to you most, stay tuned to this global podcast as we empower you to take away valuable insights and lessons that can improve your emotional health and well-being today. Hello and welcome to the Empowering Lives podcast, wherever you're listening from. My name is Sandy Clark and today I'm joined by Grace Chan, a counsellor here at Help University, who will be sharing her insights into how we can better understand suicide and support someone going through suicidal ideation. We'll also be discussing some of the myths surrounding suicide so that people can get a better idea of how they can provide that support. Grace is a licensed and registered counsellor here in Malaysia and her counselling experience ranges from working with people who struggle with anxiety, depression, self-harm, suicidal impulses, mental and emotional issues, and workplace stress. So welcome to the show, Grace. How are you doing? Good. I'm doing fine. Thank you. Before we jump into the the main questions for this episode, um, I was doing a bit of reading on um, suicidal ideation, uh, and suicide rates in Malaysia and mm-hmm. uh, just to get your thoughts on some of the, the points that I came across. So there was a report from uh, Statista uh, from July this year. Um, so it made the point that there's such a shortfall of mental health professionals in Malaysia. Um, so the report says that there's only one psychiatrist for every 200,000 people um, as of 2019. Um, which is far shorter than the recommendation from the World Health Organization of one psychiatrist for every 10,000 people. And it says that this, coupled with the social stigma regarding mental health, means that many of those people suffering from issues don't get the treatment that they need. And it's also been reported that schools in Malaysia uh, report higher incidence of depression, anxiety, stress, and um, other issues amongst youth in Malaysia and the pressure to perform well in school, as well as more modern sources of stress, such as cyberbullying, has led to an increased suicidal tendencies and behaviours in Malaysian youth. So just to start off, like, what are your thoughts on that kind of problem that's facing the country at the moment? To be honest, Andy, I think this issue has been ongoing since forever. I think the recent pandemic, right, with the COVID going on, I think that really highlighted the need for mental health awareness that eventually went to suicidality as well. I think um, the stats that you provided earlier already illustrated quite a good picture on, you know, the lack of mental health professionals in Malaysia. I think um, recently Dr. Noor Hisham, right, uh, I think he mentioned that as well. So, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I think this is a very real, it's a very real reality that actually has been going on forever. It's just lately, you know, um, like the awareness is sort of like surfacing. Mm, mm. Yeah. And I think that, I mean, one of the things I realize is that for people like us who have training in mental health, um, you know, people with either background in psychology or counseling or clinical psychology, you right. know, we have 
a sort of extent of understanding about what it means to be suicidal and how to spot mm -hmm. the signs and all of that kind of stuff. But I think a mm -hmm. common question that people in general might ask is what causes people to feel suicidal? Um, I mean, of course, there are a lot of reasons why someone might mm -hmm. be thinking about suicide. So it's not so simple as to say maybe one or two things causes that. But mm -hmm. can you just share some of your thoughts on what some of those reasons uh, might be for people who you know, lead themselves to feeling uh, suicidal? That's a very common question, actually. I think you really hit it right there. But I think, Sandy, before going into your first, um, answering your first question, I think just for context, in terms of the purpose of this podcast, right, mm -hmm. it would be nice to actually talk about what suicidal ideations are, right? Mm -hmm. So <clears throat> I sort of want to start off with how suicidal ideations are actually pretty common, right? Basically, suicidal ideations are ideations or um, in thoughts or in feelings, right, um, of a person wanting to die, right, or wanting mm -hmm. to escape, like, a very undesirable situation. So, you know, it's almost like, you know, sometimes when we drive on road, right, you know, we get really angry at drivers, right, and then we start having certain um, thoughts, right, we have certain feelings, we struggle with it, and then we might catch ourselves saying things like, oh, you know, I wish that person died. Mm -hmm. Or I wish I die sometimes, you know, in very um, stressful life situation. So suicidal ideation, in my opinion, is something that's quite common. It's something that um, a person would eventually experience at least once or twice or a few times, you know, over the course of their life because of how life can be tough in reality. Now, the thing is we don't act on it all the time, right? So much like when we have thoughts about harming other people on the road, right, um, we also have thoughts about harming ourselves, but we don't act on them all the time. Mm -hmm. So um, I think there's this stigma with suicidal ideation that whenever people talk about it, it's almost always linked to mental disorder, i.e. I am crazy or you are crazy. So since we are talking about suicidal ideation, I think I sort of wanted to start with this um, premise that is actually pretty common, right? And uh, there's something very ironic about suicidal ideation I thought would be interesting to share with everyone, right? In my opinion, um, the irony of suicidal ideation is while it seems like a person does not want to have a life, right? Mm -hmm. Wanting to end it. But when we really dig down to the reasons behind it, right? It's actually also a cry to live. When we talk about suicidal ideation, we're talking about a person who wants to die because the current direction of life is not what they want. So in their mind, they actually have a better version or a more ideal version of how their direction of life could be, right? Mm -hmm. So technically, this, this societal ideation is also stemming from this gap between the reality, right? Between what you have right now in life, right? The direction that you're going through in life versus the ideal versus what you wish life could be. Yeah. And so the bigger the gap is, you know, the more a person feels like, this life right now with this direction, right, is not something that a person wants. So at the end of the day, it still goes back to even in societal ideation, right, you know, there is this very strong survival instinct. There's this strong bit of, you know, um, a cry to live. That's my mm -hmm. opinion about it. When, mm -hmm. when overall, when it comes to societal ideation, I don't think that's something that is so uncommon. Uh, in fact, I think it's something that's very common. I think especially among young people, um, I was having a conversation with a friend of mine the other day and we were talking about how life today is more comfortable in terms of convenience and, and materially um, mm -hmm. than it was maybe 30, 40 years ago. However, 
uh, young people have higher instances of, um, you know, anxiety, stress, um, suicidal ideation. And, you know, what we spoke about was certainly life would have been tough for our parents and their parents. But, you know, there's so many things now that young people have to compare themselves against uh, compared to our parents and their parents. You know, there was no pressure, for example, on my parents to be entrepreneurs or to be really successful or to mm-hmm. go on Instagram and compare themselves constantly. And I think that, you know, having that constant comparison, the constant flow of negative news and, and mm-hmm. everything that kind of piles up on top of each other, you know, and, and I think like you say that it creates this impression that how I think life should be is, you know, really far from how it is at the moment and and that tends to create more stress and anxiety especially for younger people and like when you when you mentioned the idea as well that it is quite common for people to have those kind of thoughts and i think that that's one of the the common misunderstandings that it's something that's abnormal or um something that's that means there's something wrong with you in particular Mm -hmm. whereas obviously as you say that that's not the case at all Yep, yeah, because if you're a human being, likelihood is life will not go your way all the time, right? Mm-hmm. At some point in life, there would be things that are out of your control, right? That would put you in a bad situation, that would put you in that gap, that would sort of make that gap bigger between the reality and what you want. So that would actually answer a bit of like your first question. So in my opinion, what are some causes, right, that led people to feeling societal? So in my opinion, again, there are three. So the first one, it's obviously very real-life predicaments. So we are talking about life events that are out of our control. Mm -hmm. So we are talking about trauma. We are talking about death of a loved one. We're talking about loss of job. We're talking about natural disaster. Basically, drastic changes in life events that would disrupt a person's um, mental well-being, right? If not attended, would eventually or could possibly lead to suicidality. So that would be one of the causes, in my opinion. Um, But the bigger chunk here, right, um, coming from a psychotherapist would definitely be the neglection of mental health. What causes people to feel suicidal? Very likely it will have to do with mental health, right? So when we talk about suicidality, I think mental health is a huge component, right? Mm -hmm. So I, I like to talk about mental health in terms of continuum. Right. So everyone has mental health. Right. Um, it's just whether you're on the, the, the far end of poor mental health or the other end of good mental health. Right. Which is positive mental health. So there are two factors here. Right. Um, very real life situations, very real life predicaments, very real life struggles that, you know, a lot of us don't have control. Right. Plus the neglection of mental health. Right. Would put a person in a bad place for a very long duration of time that would cause the person to experience intense suicidality, maybe for a period of time. And the third one, I would say in Malaysia, right? So I'm going really specific in this context. I think it, it is the fact that a lot of people actually have existing but untreated or unintervened mental illnesses or mental disorders. So that struggle would lead to suicidality as well. And then quite often, um, you know, when it's, sadly the case that someone does take their own life um you know people are often left thinking that they they should have done more or been more aware of the signs and you just outlined uh, three reasons that could lead someone to have suicidal ideation and you know you, you you hear people say something like i should have known the signs i should have been more aware i should have asked better questions or whatever it is you know they're constantly sort of thinking about what they could have done to prevent um, someone from taking their own life. So can you share some thoughts in terms of 
What should people look out for that might suggest that a friend or family member uh, is feeling suicidal? I think when we talk about like detecting early signs, right? When it comes to, um, you know, if some, you know, to, to sort of recognizing if someone is suicidal, mm-hmm. uh, I believe there is a wealth of information on the internet, right? That one can easily sort of type it out in Google and you see a whole bunch. So I'm just going to share the more observable, right? The sort of easier to detect signs for laymen, right? For normal people. So yeah. the first one uh, would actually be self-isolation behaviors. So this mm-hmm. would be, you know, noticing that someone, um, someone that you know, you're like suddenly sort of like shutting themselves, right? So this could be locking, you know, themselves in a room, right? And every, very evidently in terms of daily interaction, there is a gradual withdrawal from engaging with friends, with family. So that's the first one. Self-isolation behaviors um, are actually pretty much observable. I think everyone would be able to notice it if they pay attention. That's actually one of the signs. So there are a few more, like noticing right, changes in your eating pattern. So noticing that, oh, this person suddenly eats a lot, right? Like a lot more appetite than usual or very low appetite. Or there, there are changes in sleeping patterns, right? Oh, this person started experiencing sleeping difficulties, um, mm-hmm. so insomnia, right? Or excessive sleeping, right? Which is hypersomnia. So that is also very um, observable among normal people, I believe, right? And then there's the third one, which is noticeable changes in mood. So, you know, noticing that this person looks distressed, you know, low mood, low energy, very low interest, no motivation, acting anxiously, you know, getting agitated easily, you know, extreme mood swings, things like that. It's basically looking for like um, sort of drastic changes in behaviors. Is that the idea? It doesn't need to necessarily be like, you know, very drastic in terms of, oh, last week he was like that, this week he, you know, he, he changed, right? But it's more like a gradual change, mm. you know, over the course of like two weeks, three weeks, you know, a month, right? A month and a half, two months, right? You see that there are observable, very explicit changes in their behavior, like self-isolation, changes in their eating patterns, changes in their sleeping patterns, changes in their mood, changes in their speaking behavior, right you know one suddenly gets too quiet or they get very confrontational or you could also observe from more dependency on substances right you know you you see this person suddenly using alcohol or drugs more often than usual Mm -hmm. so i think that those are some pretty easy signs to detect then we move on to very obvious signs right like very obvious signs of someone being in distress right or their mental health being poor so you hear them talking or thinking about wanting to die, wanting to kill, kill themselves, right? There is this unbearable pain. There's also this, this sort of um, narrative in their thoughts, you know, which center around hopelessness, helplessness. So they talk about feeling empty, hopeless, having no reason to leave, talking about feeling trapped, you know, talking about not having any solution, not seeing a way out. So that's also another, you know, one of the signs, right? Um, as well as very self-critical or very self-debilitating thoughts, like, mm-hmm. you know, talking about themselves in great guilt, in shame, talking about themselves as a burden, talking about themselves as not being good enough. So, so that, I think those are pretty, pretty detectable, obvious sites. Yeah, I think that's the important thing as well, the idea that people are often very self-judgmental, self-critical, um, mm-hmm. you, you know, that there's no point in me living, you know, I'm so useless. Or like you mentioned, that uh, everything is hopeless. Uh, I can't do anything. And so, you know, I'm better off or everybody else is better off if I'm not here. 
and mm -hmm. like you say, to, to pay attention to those behaviors, self-isolating behaviors or, or gradual changes in behaviors is really important because then you start to see a, almost like a pattern emerging um, over right. those two or three weeks. And I, I think when it comes to, so let's say someone does spot those kind of signs in a, a family member or a friend. And I think one of the things that people do find difficult is to know exactly like, how do you support someone with suicidal ideation? Um, how do you go about making sure that they um, are doing the right things in order to give that person the help that they need? So um, do you have any advice for people who would be looking to offer that support to someone? Absolutely, right? Um, so the first one, the first one is to talk about it, right? It's as simple as that to talk about you know, the suicidality, to talk about um, in more details what the suicidality look like, right? So, i.e., right, this would equate to, you know, asking the person about the painful thoughts, the painful feelings that led them to having suicidality, asking them about their worries, their fears, asking them about their struggles, you know, how suicidality have been affecting your daily functioning, asking them about their reasons for living and dying and listening to their answers. So it, it can sound something like this, right? So in other words, the moment someone comes to you and sort of open up a bit, right, about the fact that they are struggling with suicidality, we can start off with something as simple as, do you want to talk about it? I'm here for you whenever you're ready to talk about it. Just something as simple as that would do. Mm -hmm. So the first, uh, my only answer for that, to be very honest, Sandy, is actually to talk about it because of the stigma that, in, that revolves around suicidality, right? Because of the stigma that, oh, suicidality is something that's very abnormal. Suicidality is something that only happens to people who are crazy or who have mental disorders, right? Hence, people tend to not talk about it. But from the point of view of a person who's struggling right, with suicidality, this is a gift. Right, it gives them a platform. It gives them a safe platform to actually talk about this mm -hmm. very painful inner experiences, and very often, right, Sandy, we would be surprised, right, with how just the mere action of talking about it would give some sense of release already. So in psychology, we call it catharsis. It is a form of expression. So that's the first bit to talk about it, right? And then, of course, we want to talk about it, but with empathy, right? So what I meant by empathy here is, you know, not telling them that, oh, I totally understand what you're talking about. I totally get where you're coming from. You know, I felt exactly the same way as before. That is not empathy, right? So empathy sounds more like, well, I can't imagine how painful this is for you, but I would like to try to understand, right? So there's always this initiative to understand when, you know, you want to talk about it with empathy. And of course, non-judgmentally, right? Meaning, you know, we do not want to criticize them. We don't want to blame them. We don't want them to make them to feel like they're at fault for feeling suicidal and the third bit would be letting them know that you care right let the person know because this is the most important bit actually that they are not alone so people who are suicidal are very likely to also feel very hopeless very lonely right because they have no meaning in life they can't see a way out right and they feel like they're the only one going through all this really difficult thing in the world right so having someone to affirm you know, to their feelings, to their inner experiences, to their inner experiences, right, would actually help a lot. And so, I, really, I really like yeah. that point that you raised about, you know, asking them, you know, do you want to talk about it, to acknowledge their struggles and ask them if they want to talk about it and to say that you're there for them when, when they're ready. Um, mm -hmm. I, I think quite a lot of times people might ask something just very simple, like, are you okay? But the, I think the problem with that is that you always get the answer coming back, yeah, I'm fine. 
and there, there's, yep. there's, there's not really anywhere you can go with that. Whereas um, using your example of acknowledging their feelings and asking them, you know, do you want to talk about it? You're like you say, you're, you're kind of given that invitation to, to them and letting them know that when they are ready to talk, then you're there and you're kind of open and, and willing to have that conversation. Absolutely, absolutely, right. And you know, when, when it comes to letting them know that you care, right, of course, the most explicit way to do it is to tell them that, hey, you're not alone, I'm here, I really care for you, right? Sometimes when we say that the person who's struggling on the other end, right, may not feel it even with that, right? So mm -hmm. alternatively, right, we can, when, when we sort of, you know, provided this platform for them that is safe enough for them to open up, right, we can start letting them know that we care through the way that we phrased it, right? So for example, if someone comes to you to open up about something that's very difficult about them on suicidality, right? We can say something like, oh, so that sounds like it's really hard. How have you been coping? So in terms of like, you know, the questions are in terms of approaching the person that had opened up to you, right? The way that, you know, you talk about it, the way that you ask them can actually already show them that you care. So you have, have that kind of idea that you've shared about what to say and how to support the person. In, in terms of what not to say, because there's a lot of people who give well-meaning advice or they try to give well-meaning um, suggestions, but they kind of invalidate the experience that the person is going through. So do you have any examples or any thoughts on what people might consider to avoid saying? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, so from my experience of, you know, in my field, right, as a therapist, as a psychotherapist, I find that from my, what my clients had shared with me, right, you know, whenever they open up to someone, one thing that they never want to hear is people trying to find solutions for them, mm -hmm. people trying to fix their problems, right? So when we talk about, you know, um, a person who is going through suicidality and struggling through it, when, they op when this person opens up about this very painful experience, actually, in reality, all that this person wants is to be heard, to be understood, and to be affirmed. Mm -hmm. that this is a difficult situation to go through, right? So because of our anxiety as well, right? When someone comes to us and tells us something so painful, like something as painful as, oh, I don't want to live anymore. Yeah. Actually, on our end, we get anxious too, right? Mm -hmm. So when we get anxious, we are trying to fight our anxiety as well. And very often, it comes off as us sounding very dismissive, right? So this mm -hmm. is when we try to rationalize you know, why they should not die. We try to find solutions for their problems. We try to fix their problems, right? So, you know, we go, we started doing things like, oh, so have you tried this, this, this? Or why don't you try this, this, this? You just need to snap out of this by doing this, this, this. Or, right, being rationalized of their societal ideations. Oh, you shouldn't feel this way, right? You know, so many people are much more worse than you, right? So, Absolutely no comparison, you know, don't rationalize their painful experiences because that's not what they're looking for. What they're looking for is to be heard and to be understood and to know that, hey, I'm not alone in this very painful journey. So, so it's really about starting from that foundation of, of validating or saying that you understand and you acknowledge that experience. And I think you mentioned earlier as well that um, it's also important to not jump in by saying that you understand exactly how that person feels because even if you've mm -hmm. had a similar experience yourself before it's not going to mm -hmm. exactly be the same as what that person's going through and you, you also mentioned something um interesting earlier about you know the health director general dr noor hisham 
um, yes. when you were talking about um, the report that he was giving earlier this year and when he was talking about the shortfall of mental health professionals and that that needs to be uh, really be addressed. And I noticed in one report, he also had said that in Malaysia, the 2017 National Health and Morbidity Study had found that there was a rising trend in suicide, especially among uh, youths between the ages of 13 to 17. Um, mm -hmm. And he had said that in 2017, about 10% had suicidal thoughts compared with 7.9% in 2012. So yeah. that's that's quite a, a, a big jump in the trend. And obviously that will have continued over the past three years. So I'm just wondering, like, although the rates of suicide are on the rise, uh, sad to say, mm -hmm. there's still so much of a lack of understanding about what suicide is, how to mm -hmm. support people, how to uh, encourage them to get help. And there are also so many myths and misconceptions surrounding suicide. Can you share your thoughts on a few of those and maybe offer up some facts that counteract those misunderstandings? So the first one, I think it's very related to what we, um, what I've covered earlier with you, right? Which is talking about suicide will make someone do it, mm. right? That is definitely, I think, the most common myth, right? So it is actually exactly the opposite, right? Um, for, for the reasons that I've mentioned earlier. Um, there's also a very popular myth that um, people who talk about suicide aren't serious and they won't get through it, they won't go through it. That is definitely a myth because when we talk about suicidality, we are also talking about poor mental health. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So suicidality should never be taken lightly. Even if it's a way to seek support, right? it is essentially still a cry for help. It's still a cry for help in terms of their mental health, right? It's, it's in, in terms of their mental health well-being. Maybe the last one that I'll share is um, there's also this very common myth that, you know, people think that if a person is seriously thinking about taking their own life, there's absolutely nothing you can do about it, right? So this, mm -hmm. I think this is a very Asian mentality that, you know, oh, once a person has sort of fixed their mind, there's nothing no one can do about it. Mm -hmm. um, again, this is very incorrect. This is definitely a myth, right? So the fact is suicide is very much preventable. There are loads and loads and loads of literature, um, you know, academic literature, a lot of researchers doing research on suicidality, right? And that already gives us a, a big idea that, you know, there are a lot of things that can be done to prevent suicide. And in a lot of cases, to be very honest, those who successfully committed suicide, right? It's very likely if we're going to look at their situation at that point of time, it is likely that this person did not receive intervention, did not receive help to mental health struggles, and have mm. very little social support. So that, that comes back to, to your earlier points about, you know, people who feel maybe isolated or if they feel disconnected. And I, I think another um, myth is that people think that to be suicidal, you have to be mentally ill or, or have mm -hmm. something quote-unquote wrong with you. But I, I think mm -hmm. from what you've said throughout this um, episode, Grace, is that a, a lot of it is about people who don't feel heard, they don't feel um, validated or understood, especially if they've gone through quite a traumatic experience um, or quite mm -hmm. a kind of difficult time. And th this can be something, I mean, you mentioned about the COVID-19 health crisis and that's obviously yeah. led to a lot of people, for example, losing their jobs and perhaps they're unable to support their family as well as they otherwise would have done. And so they might start to feel those thoughts creeping in as well. So really mm -hmm. important to, to sort of have that support, that kind of communication with, with people to say that, like you, you had mentioned that I'm here for you. You're not alone. Mm -hmm. 
and, and to really take that non-judgmental stance? You know, the reality is that the more we don't talk about suicide, the more everyone will think that this is something that's very abnormal, mm-hmm. right? The more people think that, well, suicidal ideation is so abnormal. If I have suicidal ideation, it means that I have mental disorder, precisely like what you say, right? But no, right? Um, so no, this is a very good point because mental disorder and mental health, they both exist on a different continuums. So what it means is that one can have a very good mental health, right? and no suicidality, and this person is actually diagnosed with a mental disorder. There are two different things, right? Mental health and mental disorder are two absolutely different things. So one can actually have a mental disorder, for example, clinical depression, right? But, you know, do not struggle with suicidality because perhaps through therapy, they have learned how to manage it. So that really boils down um, to a very, you know, important point of we need to talk about suicidality, we need to talk more about suicidality and suicidal ideations. Yeah, and I think as well, it, it just opens up, like you say, more of a conversation to to understand it as well. Like, you know, when I, I read some of the reviews on suicide and, uh, you know, the academic reviews and, you know, there's a kind of consensus that says, look, mm-hmm. there, there's no um, sort of specific way to predict who and who would not follow through with um, their, their suicidal thoughts. So like you had mentioned earlier, there's no real way of, of kind of knowing, you know, when you mentioned that myth about people who talk about suicide aren't serious and won't go through with it. And even though the research does say that, you know, most people don't, but that doesn't mean to say that, you know, the person that you're talking to won't. And, and you've made a good point that it's always good to, to take it seriously and to offer that support uh, and make yeah. sure that you encourage someone to open up and and have that conversation but maybe just to wrap up the the episode grace mm-hmm. that i'm just wondering from from uh, sort of malaysia perspective uh, what are the resources available uh, for people who feel suicidal um, so where should they or their friends and family go to get the support that's needed so i'm just going to like sort of very briefly recap you know what we discussed earlier as well about you know how to support someone mm-hmm. so i think we have mentioned about talking about it right talking about it with empathy um with non-judgmental i mean non-judgmentally letting them know that you care and actually the, the most important step after that is to encourage them to seek help i'm sure again <laughs> i'm sure if one just you know google up um, online right you will find a whole list right so there are um, in terms of resources right in Malaysia for people who feel suicidal of course we have common hotlines like Talian Kasi right mm-hmm. so it's 15999 um, Talian Kasi also have um, a whatsapp chat so for those who are not comfortable with talking right you can also actually type it out by chatting of course there's the very famous befrienders right and of course there's an array of um, mental health centers right so, mm-hmm. of course, um, uh, places like CPCS, right, um, Wonder Help, Relate Therapy, Souls, Lifeline Association, Malaysia, MMHA, right, Malaysian Mental Health um, Association. So I think all these are fairly well-known mental health centers that everyone can go to. But maybe what I would share as a tip, right, for most people is that, so a lot of people recognize that they want to go, for, they want to seek for professional help, right, but financial limitation is one huge problem. Mm-hmm. So my tip, my tip is actually that in those um, associations that I've mentioned earlier, right, there are actually options for people, right, to see trainees. So these are trainees, right, who are in masters of counseling or masters in clinical psychology, and so um, the fee, the rate for therapy would actually be a lot cheaper. So it would actually go around the rate of thirty ringgit to fifty ringgit per session. 
-hmm. I think a lot of people are missing out on this information that 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 there is actually such an option, right, to opt for like something that is a lot more affordable, and that would be tradies. I I thought of just sharing that. Yeah, I think that's a great tip, and and just to add on to that as well, that because I I know that maybe some people listening would think that they don't want to see someone who's going through the training, but I think actually it, it can help them a lot in terms of knowing that trainees are, are very closely supervised and so their supervisor who's going to be a, an accredited professional is going to be able to guide them through cases that even the ones that are, are, are very difficult um, mm-hmm. and that you know a, a lot of, of, of trainee counsellors and clinical psychologists are, are very well read up and they're very well prepared to take on these kind of cases so mm-hmm. um, if financial resources are something of a problem then people can always use that option. I think it's a great resource to use for people who might have that issue. Um, so thanks very much for taking the time, Grace, to, to, to share your thoughts. I think the listeners will have quite a lot of um, pointers to take away, especially in terms of how to support someone uh, with uh, suicidal ideation. So thanks very much for no taking problem. the time. My pleasure. My pleasure. Thank you. And thank you for tuning in to this episode of Empowering Lives. Be sure to check out our previous episodes from this series and series one and two, which are all available on Spotify and Anchor.fm. Till next time, be well, take care and stay safe. You've been listening to the Empowering Lives podcast, brought to you by the Department of Psychology at HELP University, Malaysia, the University of Achievers. For more information about HELP University, visit www.help.edu.my and learn about our world-class programs and mental health services. Thank you for listening. And remember, together we can empower each other to build rich and meaningful lives driven by purpose, vision, and values.